Alien trivia. Swedenborg learned that angels from the planet Jupiter appear to be of a sky blue color interwoven with sparks of gold. And when spirits from Jupiter become angels, horses that shine like they're on fire come and carry them into heaven, where the spirits then take on that same golden blue color. Here we are inside Off the Left Eye. Stick around for my exclusive interview with Curtis Childs, director of Off the Left Eye, where we discuss how spirituality impacts our work life and vice versa. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, gives us some context about the field of publishing in the 18th century. Then we travel to 1748, when Swedenborg's communication with spirits took on interplanetary dimensions for the first time this week in history. Hey, Curtis, welcome to the new year. What's happening? It's good to be here. I know, it's good to be in 2021 and launching we've just launched a whole new year's worth of content um people getting to be along the journey the off the left eye journey with us this year and this show that we kicked off the year with was ceos reveal the spiritual component of running a successful business yeah so anybody listening if you haven't watched that yet you can find it on the youtube channel i highly recommend it it's got a lot of very interesting ideas from people in the world, you know, in business and thinking about sort of higher spiritual principles and how that can come down and be relevant to, you know, the day-to-day working of a business, which is in a lot of ways. Yeah. So people can listen to that also as a podcast and that's on the Swedenborg and Life podcast channel. And what we do here, like we do every week, is respond to the reflection question of the week. So this was posted on Thursday and um, you can hear others' responses in the Swedenborg Live show on Friday or read them on any of our social media channels. But now you and I get to respond to the question. So here it is. And I think this one feels particularly relevant. So here, it, here's what it is. How has spirituality affected your approach to work? Not, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I can't help but laugh because it's like, man, in this field spirituality is our work. So I'm really curious. I have some thoughts and I'm curious to know what yours are about, you know, just how this question lands with you. Yeah, it's but it's surprising how unspiritually I can approach this spiritual work that we do at yes. times. <laughs> right. And I definitely notice that just because I continually am immersed in this high-end spiritual content for work doesn't mean that I necessarily will automatically by osmosis progress spiritually. That Those are sort of two separate right. muscles yeah. talking about it and walking it. So I, where it most shows up is because you can have all the old ways of being and thinking about all this new spiritual stuff. So I can have this really cool subject material, but still be you know, discontented with where things are. I can still be concerned for my reputation, honor, and gain in it. And you can end up being miserable surrounding this super uplifting messaging if if you're not uh, approaching <laughs> yeah. it spiritually. So yeah. when I'm on, it means that I'm taking to heart particularly things like ultimately it's God's intelligence that drives everything, that, that uh-huh. we actually are our own scheming and machinating and 
planning doesn't it it doesn't affect the outcome. Yes, it, <laughs> it appears to, but the reason why it's so easy to get confused is that that God will inspire you at times with the right thing to do, and it feels like that's rendered through your intelligence, but it's just more like you yes. understand it, you observe it on the way in. It doesn't mean that it came right. out of you. So to to have that in mind actually makes it a lot more fun because otherwise it feels like this huge burden because, yes. <laughs> you know, the, the Swedenborg material feels really important and it always could feel like, oh, we need to do more. We need to reach more people. More people need this and I don't want to be screwing this up, but... When yeah. you think, okay, wait, no, I'm I'm not screwing this up. I'm not doing anything. God is going to do what he wants to do. It just balances it out. It just feels much better. Yes. And it's like we're in a perpetual kind of dance with that truth because I kind of feel like, or, or, you know, waves that go in and out of phase with each other. You know, sometimes I feel very in phase with that idea of, oh, yeah, like this is, we are just along for the ride. Or, you know, I feel like you just said it so well with how it's like we can observe and get these this sense of like, oh yeah, this is the next thing to do and everything. And then other times my personal sort of spiritual life can feel very out of phase with, you know, what uh, that sense of the Lord's grand design for what's happening. And, and it's wonderful that we're the ones going in and out of phase, but it's a constant, <laughs> you know, it's never yeah. not actually the truth. <laughs> right. And, and that's great. One of the things that comes to my mind with this question is this, uh, well, there's an article on Swedenborg.com about these uh, Swedenborg's rules of life and kind of the history of how people call them Swedenborg's rules of life. And it might actually be that they were the idea of a guy who was writing um, essentially like a eulogy or maybe even like a memorial address about Swedenborg after he passed away, like Right. Maybe it was for the Swedish for the Swedish diet or something. I'm not remembering exactly. You'll have to go figure out that mystery by reading the article. But um, these rules of life are, you know, to daily read and meditate on the word. And, um, you know, I don't know these other ones. <laughs> I'm not remembering each of them individually, but the one that yeah. stands out to me the most is the like may I just be useful? You know, like, can I just show up and be useful today? Or like just sort of handing it over to Providence of like, whatever I get done today, I just want to do something useful or whatever I do today, can it just be used in a useful way? And, um, and I feel like that's, that's a spirituality perspective that, that really helps me where it is like, I can have so much invested in the work that we do, but but I can also just kind of let all of that fall away and it just comes down to like, all right, I'm just showing up right now in this one moment and I'll just do what's in front of me and, and you know, let the Lord take care of the rest. And that's like, that's just a manageable way to do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like, all right, just going to do the next, the next right thing. Yeah. It's the only psychologically sustainable way to do it. We don't know, we don't know what character we are in the grand story. We don't know what role we're playing. We don't know what role our efforts are playing. What, what is uh, off the left eye meant to accomplish? We, we don't know. Yeah. What, what, you know, hopefully it's a it's a, a reaction in a series of reactions that does something good, but we don't know. I guess that's why in the, the 12 steps, like where you end up is, I only want the, pray for the knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. 
Right. And that's like, I guess that's the clay saying to the potter, okay, go for it. You know, rather yes. than uh, the, the clay trying to tell the potter what to do as it, that biblical illusion uh, yes. illustrates. That's so great. And I, I also, you know, everything that we've talked about so far and like being in the line of work that you and I are where it, we are talking about and thinking about and working with these spiritual ideas all the time. Um, I got to say, it's it's pretty great sometimes. Like just, just before this show, I was doing some research and was reading, uh, you know, through several numbers of Swedenborg spiritual experiences. And it's like this number I landed on wasn't what wasn't related to my mission, you know, like what I was looking for, but it was just this like diamond in the rough of like, wow, this, it, it didn't have to do with my work, but it had to do with what's going on personally for me. And like, yeah. it spoke right to that. And like, I, I can't complain that I'm happy to have it. I feel very fortunate or like, it's so useful and wonderful to like, I'm just glad I've gotten to surround myself with these ideas so that I can have a random thing like that pop up and, and, uh, you know, just hit me right where it's at, you know, for me. Cause that's just what the word does, you know, all the time is it's so personally relevant. And so to get to have the opportunity, uh, you know, at a random moment in the day to kind of dip in and be amazed is, is really great. And it's like, you know, sometimes I'm more tone deaf to the you know amazingness but other times it just is just the right thing and that's a real joy the best is when it corresponds like when my personal spiritual needs and the work that we're putting together are the same thing at the same time and there's times when filming like a news from heaven episode and it's exactly i'm like educating myself as we go through it and that is just a great spot to be in because it feels like oh yeah the use is pumping out and it's pumping out to me and it's pumping yes. out to everyone it's great oh i love it and i will and beyond that too something that i love that is like we'll be working on researching for a show and and then somebody in our community, like under another video or in our Facebook group, watching and reading Swedenborg or something, somebody will comment a question uh, of some kind. And it's just exactly like I've already been armed with exactly what I need to respond to this person, you know, or something nice. like that just also gives me that sense of awe about the Lord's providence of, of being able to hold all these different parts. Like you say, like we can't even begin to understand like what you know what is off the left eye in the bigger picture or anything and it's like yeah but that just to be able to see the infinite details that must be happening behind the scenes in terms of how the lord orchestrates people getting the spiritual help they need is like awesome totally so very fun cool well that's great to get to talk with you about and um if you are just hearing about this reflection question this week, go ahead and find the post on our community tab on Off the Left Eye or on any of our social media channels and respond with your, uh, what it, you know, how spirituality has affected your approach to work. We would love to hear more about it from other people. And, and then so looking forward this next week, we have, drum roll please, um, <laughs> you will find Somewhere You Belong. That is our Swedenborg and Life show coming up on Monday. And so you can catch that tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern time on the 
YouTube channel. And then stick with us all week and enjoy the news from heaven on Wednesday and then get your questions answered in our Swedenborg Live Q&A show on Friday. So thanks, Curtis. It is always great to get to chat about these topics with you. Yeah. And now we'll be catching up with you at the end of the show to see where Swedenborg was this week in history. But in the meanwhile, you can think about which planet's spirits you'd most like to meet. Oh, I mean, I've already thought about this so much, but but I'll do a little extra. <laughs> All right. Give it some more thought. I can't wait to hear it. All right. <laughs> hey there. We've done six months of Inside Off the Left Eye, and we're having a ball. But what has it been like for you? If you have a minute, there's a link in the description of this episode to a simple three-question survey. We want to keep creating a podcast that you love, so please let us know what you think. Now, back to the show. Okay, and now it is time to shine the spotlight on the discoveries being made in the work of the NCE. So, welcome, Jonathan. Thank you, Chelsea. And it's a new year, but the NCE never gets old. (laughs) That's That's right. (laughs) That's one of its superpowers is, you know, this ongoing scholarship that's applied to Swedenborg's works and the context in which they were published. And that just seems to be this seemingly endless source of discoveries. So isn't God good? That's right. Absolutely good. What's on my mind this week is um, thinking about Swedenborg's publishers. And yeah. I guess I'll start by talking about a certain uh, statement that I don't have in front of me that Swedenborg makes in his work on marriage, marriage love or conjugal love. And he talks about gender roles in relation to forensic and domestic uses uh-huh. kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. And Waiting so yep. <laughs> forensic from the Latin means out of doors and domestic means at home. Uh-huh. Yep. So the way this has been read, when you think about uh, the United States after the Second World War and the GI Bill and people come home yes. and there's incentives to build in the suburbs and so you have this house and the lawn and so on. And what domestic would mean through that reading would be that you would be taking care of the children, obviously. You would be, you know, this is would be what women do is... Right, um, cooking all the meals and... yeah sewing and and uh you know having coffee with your friends or or whatever but it would all be within the confines of your cute little house or apartment or something mm-hmm. um that is not exactly uh, what a forensic and domestic meant in swedenborg's time which is interesting even though that was a very highly gender stratified kind of society you know i mean yeah. men definitely had all kinds of power and ability that women didn't possess at that time, generally speaking. Right. There were some exceptions, you know, some queens and duchesses and what have you. But but uh, generally speaking, uh, most areas were, were you know, male-only uh, realms. Uh, but <clears throat> there were what you might call cottage industries. In other words, we think now, I, I've been thinking about it lately, especially because with the the pandemic, you've got all these buildings that are largely empty now, workspaces, <laughs> yes. 
massive buildings. I mean, now we have these high rises and we have factories and we have server farms and just huge spaces that are not the home. But back in Sweden, back in the day, in Swedenborg's time, that was not the case. There weren't that, you know, you'd have a mine over here. You'd have the House of Nobles or some government buildings or a law court or something. But most anything that was like manufacturing or that sort of thing happened out of the home. And so when Swedenborg says that the woman is in charge of the domestic sphere and then the, the male thing is forensic, whatever people may think of that assertion, uh, don't misunderstand. That would mean that she's in charge of hiring and firing servants and running the family business. Right. You know, that's her job. He goes off and does the government or or the law courts or, or the military. Uh, but the um, the home is not just a, a little, you know, prison for a housewife or something. There's a lot more going on in the home yeah. at that time. So anyway, whatever people may think of that, uh, it's interesting to me to kind of reset that. I didn't understand that when I started this work. Well, I love that. I mean, just to mention now that like it is true that these words change over time, you know, that the whole idea of what what is the domestic th- th- enterprise look like um, has changed a lot. And it's amazing, you know, even just reading some United States history of like how things changed after the Civil War as opposed to the colonial period or, you know, just like and you've got the whole industrial revolution, you know, like Swedenborg's writing pre-industrial revolution. So it's like the the sort of farming, you know, home-based, uh, single person, like specialties and stuff like that's the main way things are getting made. You know, there's not these giant machines that have revolutionized all the different fields of business that we now maybe just, you know, assume, oh, of course, that's the way things work or something. It was a very, very different landscape. And one particular application of this was the publishing field. Yes. And so let's turn to England, Mm -hmm. uh, where Swedenborg uh, started publishing his theological works and published his transitional work, Worship and Love of God. So that was in London. And uh, I've been told that there was actually a law at that time. It wasn't just that you could publish out of your own house you actually were forbidden to do anything else. Uh, All Mm. publishing had to be run out of your own home. And there was a rows and rows of publishers. Uh, Swedenborg's publisher, John Lewis, was at number one Paternoster Row. Uh, Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, Chelsea, but do you happen to know what Paternoster means? Oh, gosh. No. (laughs) Okay. Wait, let me think. No, I don't think I will. Is it what is Noster? What is that like a maker? I don't know. Pater is father and Noster is our. It's our father. That's oh, the Pater prayer Noster. in Latin. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pater Noster Rome. I was thinking P O rather than P A. Right. Yep. Great. Yeah, no, of course. Well, Paternoster Row was so named because it was right next to St. Paul's Cathedral, this massive church in London. Uh huh. And so part of the idea was to have these publishers working out of their own home, right where a lot of people go to church every Sunday. 
<laughs> and so you know, you know, like they had freedom of the press, but you can't just let people run wild. They knew mm. the power of the printed word. And you can't just let people go nuts. There has mm. to be accountability. And so the way you get accountability is that people have to publish out of their own houses. And those houses are right across from the church, you know. <laughs> and so every Sunday you file and you see them and you know what they're publishing. Uh, and people figured out some ways to sneak around that. Uh, you'll notice that Swedenborg's works, some of them don't have a publisher on the title page or even a you know, they don't have that kind of information. That uh, They'll have a place. Some of them don't even have a place on them. Huh. And um, But so you're running it out of your own home. So And these were sometimes pretty small homes, and you're jammed in there doing all your publishing out of the house. And yes. one of the byproducts of this was that uh, often because it would take seven years to apprentice to be a, a publisher, a printer— yeah. Um, the husbands in these households would often be older than the wives. And what happened over and over again at this time period in the mid-18th century was that the husbands would die and the wives would take over the business. Hmm. And nobody had any problem with it because their work is their home. Right. You know? It's just the business. It's, just, it's their yeah. business. Yeah, this is their business <laughs> that they do out of their home. And this happened to Swedenborg. Hmm. And I'd actually like to talk about this with you a couple of times if you want. But oh, yeah. what I'll say now about it is that um, Swedenborg had a publisher named John Lewis there at Paternoster Row. Yeah. And John Lewis passed away at a certain point, and his wife Mary took over the business. Hmm. And uh, interestingly, she was quite a bit more successful than he was as <laughs> nice. a publisher. Uh, yeah. She was publishing largely, uh, they were Moravians, yes, uh, which right, was right. interesting juxtaposition with these Moravians right across from the Church of England building there yes. at St. Paul's Cathedral. And uh, she would publish the leading uh, Moravian authors of the time. She got to be quite well known uh, if you look today in books of lists of printers and publishers from the time, there'll be a whole entry on Mary Lewis. Wow. Uh, Mary Lewis's birth date is known. Her husband's is not. Hmm. Sort of a sign of, you know, and, and yeah. getting sort of a formal obituary was she was a big deal in the publishing world. And wow. interestingly, uh, she was asked at one point, Again, I don't have it in front of me, but she was asked at one point what her opinion of Swedenborg was, hmm. and she said that it was a, you know, it was a positive thing. But she did say something along the lines of, "I mean, he's he's sometimes a little too spiritual, <laughs> or something." But <laughs> it was just really interesting to hear this publisher's um, opinion, but. Uh, in other fields, this was not happening. You know, women were not strapping on weapons and going to war and stuff like that in, in the Western world. But in publishing, women could excel. And, and she, she outlived her husband yeah. by 36 years. Oh, wow. 
and became a force in, in, in the publishing world. And her initial, M. Period Lewis, yes. is on two English translations of Swedenborg's works. Uh, even during his own lifetime, he had a, a three volumes translated into English. And one of them was done while John Lewis was still alive. Uh, but the other two were done when Mary Lewis had taken over the business. And so you see M. Lewis on the title page of the English translation of the work called Survey or Brief Exposition and also the English of Soul Body Interaction oh. that came out in 1769. So wow. it's just interesting that that kind of fit under the umbrella of these domestic uses, quote unquote. You know yes. what I mean? It was something run that... out of the house and it was something that a, that a quote unquote housewife could do. It was a perfectly reputable thing. Right, and just happens to be something that Swedenborg himself is incredibly dependent on, you know, a lot of these. That's right. And kind of lucky him, because it was sort of, you know, providential, fortuitous, that he got connected with John Lewis um, through the Moravians when he was first going to London, and and then that he, uh, you know, so then he lands it with, like, this rising star of Mary Lewis, who gets to have this huge career in the publishing world. You know, the fact that that's, she gets 30 years, 30 plus years doing that work, even after her husband had passed away. So uh, what a what a great relationship for Swedenborg to have. Like that must have been a solid connection for him in England. That's right. That is so awesome. Well, this was super fun to get to learn from you this week, Jonathan. I can't wait to hear what you have for us uh, in the future for next time. So thank you so much. A pleasure. And let's go now, where no man's gone before, physically anyway, to see where Swedenborg was this week in history. Welcome, Curtis and Jonathan. Thank you. Let's do it. Yeah, so, Curtis, which planet would you most like to meet the spirits from? Man, I was all revved up to say Pluto, but I don't know if you guys heard. <laughs> oh, no. I don't want to meet the spirits from a dwarf planet. Yeah, too soon, too soon. Yeah, I, I, man, I would have to go with, the, I think, the moon. I think, like, close to home. Nice. Very nice. Jonathan, you're, I, I'm springing this question on you, but do you have any, any uh, particular one? Well... I'm trying to remember from editing. I I think the the uh, spirits from Saturn were really um, beautiful, sort of like the most ancients from this planet or something. Mm. Uh, if memory serves, it'd be kind of neat to meet people who had a very different mode. Nice. All right. Well, and Jonathan, you can't answer this next question because, so Curtis, do you want to guess who were the first spirits from other planets that Swedenborg got to meet? Okay. Yes, I do want to guess. And I'm going to guess. And the final guess is Mercury. <laughs> Which one? Mercury. Mercury. <laughs> so. <laughs> Can we edit that out? <laughs> so. Here's what's fascinating. I had no idea. I never thought to ask this question, but this week brings us to the time in history. This week in 1748 was the first time that Swedenborg spoke to spirits, as far as we know, from other planets. And those spirits were from dun, 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 Jupiter. 
Jupiter. Jupiter. Yes. And what is extra? I don't know if they're like the ones he wanted to meet first or if he had any thought, if he had any idea. But those are the ones that providentially he uh, got to get in communication with. And what is extra fascinating is that this week in history, it is. You can also notice this amazing thing that I think, Curtis, you'll be so fascinated by. The very week, within one week, Swedenborg goes from talking about God, Messiah, to talking about the Lord. And only talking about the Lord. And no longer, you don't find the God, Messiah phrasing anymore. Wow. So something changed how he wanted to address the primary being. Yes, and that it coincides with him having communication with spirits from other planets. And so this is what we're going to kind of tease apart and talk about this week. And so um, we know that January 21st in 1748, and this is referencing spiritual experiences number 492, that's he's doing his thing, and he's referencing something, 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 God, Messiah, something, something, something. Then, just actually not even a week, but within a couple of days, by January 23rd, he, or it's on January 23rd, that he is put in communication with these inhabitants of spirits from the planet Jupiter. And then from then on, he's talking about the only Lord, or the Lord of the universe, and it really seems like getting to talk about, uh, you know, these getting in touch with spirits on other planets and recognizing that they, that the Lord that they pray to, you know, like the God that they're in touch with is the same God and even the same, you know, divine human one that we all got to know through Jesus coming to our world. And so it seems like this is it it helped sort of make this final push to this like religious understanding reset that that Swedenborg went through um and that we talked a little bit about in our episode the episode of the podcast for episode 11 yeah like stuff just got real because oh yeah there's there's you know god the messiah i i know him from being a person on earth and yeah i pray to him and i believe that he saved everybody but oh you all of you guys way out in the far-flung reaches of the universe, know the same guy? Like, he's not just my homegrown god. Yeah, and isn't this, like, uh, you know, I know I've heard from, or Jonathan, maybe you can speak about this more thoroughly, that, like, uh, the whole question of are there people on other planets was even something that was, like, something people were thinking about or writing about back in Swedenborg's day. Am I right? Yes, that's right. A friend of mine did a bunch of research on this a while ago, and it was very interesting to find out that a lot of people tended, especially thinkers and people like that, were tending to believe that, you know, there's nothing without a purpose. So all those planets out there must be for something, you know, Uh they've got some purpose. And so the chances are they're inhabited. But there was a Christian backlash against this idea because of what's called the scandal of particularity, which, if I understand it correctly, is that, uh, hang on a second, the whole idea is that Jesus was born here, 
yeah. died for our sins and so on. So did you have to have a Jesus on every other planet or are we the only one that has people on it? And uh, so it was causing some controversy. So the idea that people were on other planets wasn't going to be a new idea to people. A lot of people have been talking about that. But having this kind of experience and conversation, and I might add, uh, just from editing other planets, yeah, uh, I found that, you know, in terms of classical mythology, Mars was the god of war. Actually, the people he meets from Mars are, are not warlike. They're, you know, <laughs> you would think if he's just sort of being typical, you know, Venus is love. and yes. No, that's not the way he describes Venus. And it, it doesn't follow sort of a typical pattern. And so it, it's, um, I'm so intrigued. I don't know why it was, but it's just interesting that it's almost as if like the first time you leave your country and go far across the world, you see your country in a different light or, or, or something. And it's as if he comes back from this conversation with, uh, or even during that conversation. I don't know whether they took him aside and sort of schooled him on what the proper language was or something. Yes. And it's also interesting to me that um, he says that when we all die, like you find this out, like right after you die, everybody finds out, oh yeah, no, there, there's more than one planet up there. Um, but I don't know if he found it out right away because there's this kind of a lag. Yes. You know, he's having spiritual experiences for four or five years now. Um, and yet in this week, he starts the week using one terminology for God and having one kind of experience and ends the week. I just think that's so fascinating that he ends up in a different place after this interaction. Yeah. And it's amazing how he, um, so just some excerpts of one of these numbers is spiritual experiences 519 and he describes himself as saying being desirous of knowing what kind of people are living on other planets i have also been permitted to become acquainted with the inhabitants of jupiter for if there are planets there must be rational and intelligent beings upon them who relate everything they see to the glory of the creator since nothing can exist in the universe that does not finally go back to the glory of god and thus who are able by these means to perceive things heavenly and divine and and what's amazing is so he jumps to uh, or I'm jumping to spiritual experiences 523 now and he talks about um, you know he's interested in like wait you worship this you know divine being like the creator but are you thinking of Jesus or not you know like how does this line up and he says they say that they worship the one only Lord of heaven who they do not name by name but know that the one only Lord rules all people. They therefore look for him after death and find him who is Jesus Christ. And he says, asked whether they knew that the one only Lord is human. He replied that they all know he is human for by many of them, he had been seen as human and he himself teaches them about truth. He cares for them and they who believe in him have eternal life. So it's like he's wow. comparing notes like, have, right. <laughs> do you know this guy? You know, have you seen this person <laughs> or something? And they show the picture that they had and it's like, wait, same person, you know, yes. which kind of overcomes that scandal of particularity, which is that if Jesus was able to be spir spiritually present with people all through the universe after he was resurrected, uh, you you don't need a whole 
one Jesus per planet situation. And and even to take it a step further, he, he remarks in the same number, he says, um, and this is phrased a little bit oddly because it's just the way it's translated, but he says that he, the one Lord, had suffered, they do not know because they live in such a state as to be taught by himself. And so it's like, it sounds like they don't even need to know all the all the spiritual you know work that was being done on planet earth with the lord's coming in person um they just recognize like oh yeah this the divine human one that's him you know he teaches us every day or whatever they get the benefit and that seems like we got people you can experience jesus without the cross without the suffering on the cross being a part of the experience of jesus which there seems to be, there's a lot of people on planet earth convinced that that is the only thing, like the most important thing about Jesus. You don't see a picture of Jesus without the cross. It's the cross. It's the cross. Right. But here he says, look, these people are being taught by Jesus and interacting with the Lord, who is Jesus, but they don't even know. Oh, really? Oh, he got crucified on earth? Yes. And that what is amazing to me through, like, through studying Swedenborg's theology is this idea that the Lord you know, came into the world and went through the life that he did and, and ended up being crucified and everything um, for, you know, obviously for our sake, obviously that's what people know of it as, but literally it, within a cause, you know, cosmological sense, it was for our spiritual state, like the spiritual state that we collectively had on this planet. And that wasn't necessarily the same state that other spirits or people on other planets were in. And so it wasn't you know, as essential. And this is something he explores, right, in uh, the work Other Planets and and in other places. And something, another element to this that I find fascinating is that, because I was just reading through the numbers around, you know, it just goes from these this three-day period. Um, and in between that 21st and the 23rd, in the 22nd, he's having all of these interactions with Muhammad, the leader, you know, the the core figure of the Muslim faith, the prophet. And, and he's, he's sort of going through this realization that him and Muhammad believe in the same one God, you know, like that they kind of share this, uh, there is only one God of the universe. And, and so it's sort of this amazing thing to see these stepping stones of Swedenborg going from kind of like, all right, you know, Christian God, the Messiah, this whole thing. And then like, oh, okay, wait, people from other religions can we all believe in the same god and that's who this like the divine human one is and then like takes it another step further or really kind of blows the roof off to be like well spirits on other planets are uh we are all worshiping one god and it is really the same divine being and this must Um, have been a real shift for him that we don't really experience because we come into contact with swedenborg and i think it's something that attracts a lot of people to Swedenborg and, and retains them is the universal message in it. This is something that if you're trying to extol the virtues of Swedenborg's worldview, you'll often say, or I will, or I've heard people say, it's great because he's what he's talking about really applies to all people and it's the one God. Many religions can be a pathway yes. to that. But he probably didn't really realize how much that was true when he started out. He just saw it as this amazing opening of the corner of the tradition he was in. But here we're seeing him really... <laughs> As you're saying, uh, stepping out, you know, uh, over that ridge and saying, well, this is, 
this is something huge. Because nowadays we love to say things like, yeah, it's really there's a lot of Buddhist principles in it. But Swedenborg probably didn't even really realize how he was being shown the way to the the universal, you know, the, the universal outreach of God to people. You couldn't exaggerate how much, um, how not only Christian-centric his world was in Western Europe, yeah. but it was even that there are tons of Christians called Roman Catholics who are not doing it right. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, and, and there's a lot of tension between the, you know, different branches of Christianity. And what a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Wednesday, Muslims, <laughs> Friday, <laughs> Jupiterians, you know, or something. It's like, yeah. okay, we've kind of gone universal here. Oh, I love that. And I love that that, uh, yes, the only Lord of the universe is beyond a re- religious affiliation and even planetary affiliation. So it's <laughs> quite, like you say, quite a transformative week for Swedenborg. And that this whole thing that he's stepping into is way bigger than him. You know, he he was kind of this, you know, vessel that could communicate this stuff, but he clearly it was him being invited into this much bigger thing that had to, you know, he had to let his mind undergo some major shifts in how he thought about things when he was presented with these, you know, undeniable and amazing, you know, the lived reality of these spiritual things. So Really amazing. Cool. Well, thanks, Curtis and Jonathan. Thank you. That was fun. Yes, always a pleasure to talk to you both. And I'm Chelsea Odner, and we'll be here with you next week inside Off the Left Eye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. Subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye to be notified every time a new episode comes out. And you can explore all our content and resources at our website, offthelefteye.com. If you want to go the extra mile, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review, which helps others find the show. But you know, having you there listening is a real form of support in and of itself. So I mean it when I say thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.